Christian friends, for those pastors like me, whose churches meet in buildings that have had many, many birthdays, buildings that have had many years of use, there are two times of year when pastors like me feel a tremendous amount of anxiety about the buildings that we inhabit. And those two times of year are the beginning of winter and the beginning of summer. Now, why is it that pastors feel a lot of stress around those times of year, particularly in buildings that have had many birthdays? Well, we often feel a lot of stress as pastors because we are worried about our building's heat or we are worried about our building's air conditioning. We are worried about these major changes of season where it's going to be really cold outside or really hot outside, and we want the inside of our church buildings to be the opposite of that. We want our buildings to be comfortable and pleasant in order that our people can come and worship and serve and have biblical community together. Family, I remember a few years ago, it happened to be early, the early part of the fall, and I was going around our building and switching all of our thermostats over to the heat setting, and when the furnace came on, I soon discovered that we had a major problem. All the thermostats were calling for heat, but our gas furnace downstairs was only coming on for 60 seconds, and then it would turn off, and it would just doing this same cycle over and over again. It would come on for 60 seconds and then it would turn off. And I knew that this was not a good thing. We were just days away from the start of a cold stretch and our building at that time was starting to get dangerously cold. Well, we reached, we reached out to our heating and air conditioning technicians and when that technician arrived and I explained to him this cycle of what was going on with our gas furnace, he smiled at me and he said, I know exactly what the problem is. Well, when we walked downstairs and, and he opened the front panel to our gas furnace, the technician looked at me and said, here's your problem right here. Your pilot light has been extinguished. You see, family, even on a furnace that's not currently turned on, inside of every gas furnace there is a little pilot light and that pilot light is to be burning continually it's always to be on and when it doesn't when the pilot light is out that furnace cannot come on and that is when your building can become dangerously cold if you don't have a pilot light then you will never have heat and thus heat and warmth and a comfortable building becomes an impossibility Family, we're going to take our Bibles here this morning and we're going to open together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And friends, here in this text, we're going to see that the Bible has something similar to say to you and me about the fire that is inside of every Christian. We're going to talk this morning about how essential it is that you and I as believers desire to keep this inner fire burning in order that our Christian lives will continue to put off the, the light and the heat that God would have us to put off. If you have your Bible here with you this morning, I want you to open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to really focus our time today, Christians, really digging down into the truth of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. 
You know, I'm sure that many of you in your Bible reading programs and maybe in your devotional life, many of you have probably read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. You've probably read it many times over the course of your Christian experience. But I wonder if perhaps you've never slowed down to actually think about what the Bible is talking about. Perhaps you've never slowed down to, to think seriously or to probe deeply this particular sentence that Paul writes. When Paul writes this command, it's a command, it's given to every Christian, it's a very short command. It's short and it's staccato in its fashion. And Paul says it, do not quench the Spirit. Well, family, it's my desire for us today that we would take a closer look at this concept of quenching the Spirit, this very important verse of Scripture. It is a command, of course. So we want to consider some of the concepts behind it. And we also want to talk today about some of the practical ways that you and I can can obey this command in order that the Holy Spirit that indwells us might continue to burn brightly with that intense, that lasting influence that can spill over into our everyday Christian lives. Now, family, as we arrive here to 1 Thessalonians 5, and let me just take a moment here just to remind us of the context of this section of Scripture that we're jumping into. Here in the context of the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing some concluding instructions for these Thessalonian Christians. At this point of the letter, when we get to verse 19 of chapter 5, we're really just a few sentences away from the end of the letter. We're coming to the very end. Well, it's interesting, rather than launch off into a whole nother paragraph or a whole nother section that would give a whole bunch of long, extended exposition, Paul decides to conclude his letter with a summary of some Christian virtues. This is a closing section where Paul wants to give a summary of, of Christian beliefs as well as Christian behaviors. Beliefs and behaviors that are absolutely critical for the Christian, for the Christian to have a dynamic and effective Christian life. Now we're going to see here these commands that conclude the, the letter, they're very short. They're short, but we are still going to see how powerful they are. These are commands that are packed with a lot of truth and with a lot of doctrine. Just before we begin to drill down deeply, family, into verse 19, verse 19 is really going to be the, the focus of our study today. But before we really drill deeply into verse 19, let's read the section here that runs really from verse 12 all the way down through verse 22. So would you look at that text with me here? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll pick up here in verse 12, and we'll read this section that runs all the way down to 22. Paul writes, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves 
and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then, of course, what you have following there in verses 23 to 28 is the final paragraph of the letter. Now, family, the section of Scripture that we just read together, all of these are very short statements. The book closes with these short statements, uh, full of instruction and application. But for our purposes today, Christians, we're going to really limit our focus today to this instruction that Paul gives there in verse 19. It's short, it's staccato, yet it's a very powerful command where Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Christian friends, have you ever thought about what that means? Have you ever thought about what that means in your everyday Christian life? What does that command actually mean? Do not quench the Spirit. And knowing that it is in God's Word, how do we go about obeying such a command? Well, family, that's what we want to undertake today in our study together. So to guide our thinking today, to guide us along in this topic and this subject, I want us to consider, first of all, family, first of all this morning, if you're going to take some notes, let's talk about, number one, the basic metaphor. Okay, number one, the basic metaphor. Now, family, Paul does not give an, an extensive or lengthy explanation or exposition of this concept, this concept of quenching his spirit in verse 19. We don't get a long, drawn-out paragraph here. We don't get an exposition. We don't get a big explanation. However, that doesn't mean that we can't figure out, we can't ascertain what is actually being instructed here. Now, when the Bible uses the word quenching, when you read the word quenching in the pages of the Bible, most often that word is used in a physical sense. Most of the time, it's used in relationship to a physical fire. Now, we're going to look at some of the biblical data on this here in a few moments where this idea of quenching shows up in Scripture. But here, family, in 1 Thessalonians 5, this word quench has the idea of to suppress something. To suppress or to stifle. We might even use the more popular word extinguish. Extinguish. Again, the physical sense, the physical sense is most often the way in which this word is used. It's always, or not always, but it's almost always used in the sense of an actual fire. But here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul uses it in a spiritual sense. Paul is using it in a metaphor here. The idea here, in this spiritual sense, is for Christians, Christians to stop suppressing. Christians need to stop stifling. Christians need to stop extinguishing this inner fire that's in them, who is namely the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, the Bible's very clear when we study and, on, and look into God's Word on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. Okay, I know that was very profound, but let's just get that out there. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. 
Yet he is often described in the pages of God's Word using this metaphor of a fire. So the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is a spirit. He's an eternal spirit. But he's often described in the Bible having this idea, this picture, this metaphor of a fire. Now perhaps the most famous example of this is in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, you remember the, the day that the, the New Testament church was born. All the believers were there together in one place, remember this, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power and in might. It's the day of Pentecost. The apostles were given this, this amazing supernatural ability to preach the gospel in all these various languages. And Acts chapter 2, verse 3 says that tongues of fire came to rest on each one of them. So family, the Holy Spirit is often likened to a fire. And if He is indeed this fire that's burning within us, helping us to burn with zeal and passion for the Lord Jesus, that we are to put off this light and this heat as believers, well, it's our duty then to make sure that we are not quenching this fire. Part of our duty as believers is making sure that we are not dousing this fire or extinguishing this fire that the Holy Spirit is within us. Now, before we start to think about what it means to obey this command that we just read, let's take just a moment here. Let's dig in just a little deeper together. And let's see some of the places in the Bible where this quenching idea actually takes place. Let's look at some examples in the Bible where we see this quenching, extinguishing phenomenon going on. Because when we get the bigger picture, ah, that's going to help us understand what Paul is speaking to here in 1 Thessalonians 5. So let's move to number two now, if you're taking some notes. Let's talk number two now about the biblical data. Number two, the biblical data. Family, one of the landmark books on the person and work of the Holy Spirit is a book that's written by Dr. John Walvert. He was for many years a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's with the Lord now. But in his great landmark book on the Holy Spirit, Dr. Walvert writes that this expression, this expression that Paul wrote, do not quench the Spirit, that statement is nowhere ever formally unpacked explained or given any kind of exposition on anywhere in the Bible. So here's this statement, do not quench the spirit, but nowhere in the Bible do we have a, a, a longer or lengthier treatment that gives exposition of that command. But family, what we want to talk about here this morning is that doesn't mean that we can't do some interpretation here. That doesn't mean that we can't figure out what Paul is teaching us or what Paul is leading us to. Because what's so fascinating is that the Bible actually has a lot of different examples of this extinguishing, quenching concept. And let me just show you a couple places where it shows up. In fact, Dr. Robert Grimacki writes in his book on the Holy Spirit that this idea of quenching actually shows up eight different times in just the New Testament. Let me give you some of these. Maybe you'll jot them down. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus told a story about the foolish virgins. These young women who were lamenting and they were so filled with sorrow that their lamps had gone out. Their lamps had been extinguished. That's Matthew 25. 
Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is in this teaching section. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 20, he talks about his own tenderness. Jesus said that he would not quench the smoking flax. Jesus would not extinguish the smoking candle. Jesus would not even squish or stamp out the smallest flickering flame of, of faith or belief in him. So that's Matthew 12, verse 20. Mark chapter 9, verse 44 and following, Jesus talks about hell. And Jesus describes hell as a place where the fire is not quenched. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Paul talks about all the various parts of the armor of God. Remember that famous section in Ephesians 6? Ephesians 6, 16, Paul says that Christians are to use the shield of faith, the shield of faith to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. How about Hebrews 11? You guys remember Hebrews 11 is that famous uh, hall of faith chapter. And in that chapter, Hebrews 11:34, we're told about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were able to quench the violence of fire when they survived the fiery furnace. And then, of course, the last example in the New Testament is the one we're looking at this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul gives a command to all believers, do not quench the Spirit. So family, all that to say, we take all this biblical data, we grab it up into our arms, and now we start to get the idea, we start to get the concept of what Paul is driving at here in 1 Thessalonians 5. We understand that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And He is almost like this fire that is inside of us. And the Holy Spirit wants us to burn brightly. He wants to burn brightly. He wants us to put off godly light. He wants us to put off godly heat for the cause of Jesus. He wants our attitudes and our actions to all bring glory to the Lord Jesus. But what can happen? Well, as we're going to see, what can happen is we can resist. We can resist. We can prevent the Holy Spirit from doing what He wants to do in and through our lives when Christians like us give way to sin, when we give way to corruption, when we go after the desires of our sinful flesh. That is when we begin to quench the Spirit's work. Now, family, I want to point this out. It is true, the Bible teaches that you and I as believers, we can quench the Spirit. We can stifle the Spirit. We can suppress or extinguish the work that He wants to do in our lives. But this is important to remember. We cannot, we cannot completely or absolutely quench the Spirit's work in our lives. And that's important for us to understand. What I'm saying is it is impossible for the Christian to completely eradicate the Spirit's influence entirely. Because the Bible does say that for all Christians, the Holy Spirit has come to reside in us permanently. Every Christian is permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. His abiding presence is guaranteed. His abiding presence in us is assured. So there's nothing, there's nothing that the Christian can do to completely 
banish the Holy Spirit out of our lives. Can we suppress him? Yes. Can we extinguish what he wants to do? Yes. But we can, as Christians, we cannot completely banish the Holy Spirit out of our lives. Remember Ephesians 1, I believe is in your notes today. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, tells us explicitly that the Holy Spirit is permanently indwelling every Christian. We are sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit's presence at the moment of our salvation. The moment that you believed upon Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to take up a permanent residence in you. And so His abiding presence with you is indestructible. So again, we're making this clear. Can you and I quench? Yes. Can we extinguish? Yes. Can we stifle what the Spirit wants to do? Yes. But we can in no way ever permanently eject the Holy Spirit and His influence out of our lives. So we want to make sure we understand that. When we're talking about quenching the Spirit, we're talking essentially about being unyielded to Him. We're talking about not yielding ourselves to His control, His influence. We're refusing to follow Him. We're refusing to yield to where He wants to lead. And so what happens as we do that, as we extinguish, as we quench, what happens? Our effectiveness begins to wane. And our heat and light as believers begins to diminish. Well, we've talked about the basic definition a little bit here. We've looked at some of the biblical data. Let's go now to number three, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the believer's instruction. So how does this all fit? How does this work for you in your Christian life? If you're going to follow this command, how is it going to work? How can you obey this command to not quench the Spirit? Well, let's talk here about the believer's instruction. Family, when we look back in our text here in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, it's worth noting that when Paul writes this, what Paul writes is a command. So let's make sure we understand that first of all. Okay, This is not advice, and this is not a suggestion. No, for you and I as Christians, Paul gives this as a command. Do not quench the Spirit. Now that command is interesting because the verb here, the verb that Paul writes, do not quench, is actually in the present tense. Now that's important. That's important to know, and this is why I'm bringing it out for you. The fact that this verb is in the present tense indicates an action that is continually ongoing. Okay, so in other words, we could translate this command like this. Paul is essentially saying it this way, do not keep on continually quenching the Spirit. When you unpack that verb a little bit, that's what you get. Paul says, do not keep on continually quenching the Spirit. Now, what that presumes, Christian friends, is that you and I are quenching the Spirit quite often. It is something that you and I are doing quite regularly in our ongoing struggles against sin. So family, the appeal here, the appeal that Paul is making to us in this command 
is this quenching. This quenching that you and I are so prone to do in our everyday experience. The command is for that quenching to stop. Stop that continual ongoing quenching action. So family, the question is not, the question is not, have I ever quenched the Holy Spirit? Well, we already know the answer to that question. The answer is yes. In fact, I do it all the time and so do you. We are always quenching the Spirit. We have done so repeatedly. We've done it in the past. We've done it today. And we're going to do it probably this next week as well. We're going to continue to struggle in our flesh. Our human flesh is going to continue to struggle to let the Spirit rule and lead and govern and guide us. But what this command is showing us is that it is possible to change. It is possible to remedy this with God's help. So this is an area, when we get this command, we can't just slough it off and say, oh, this is crazy, this is impossible. Why should I even try? I'll never be able to stop totally quenching the Spirit, and so, ah, this is a fool's errand, I'm not even going to try to live out this command. No, don't think that, because God is giving us this command to help us see that this is a, an area where we need to grow where we do need to change, where we need greater maturity, where we need greater uh, obedience to his word. So family, if we want to obey this command, well, we need some insights. We need to understand how it is that we go about breaking this command. How, how do you and I violate this command all the time? Once we start to figure that out, how am I constantly squelching the Spirit's work? How am I quenching the Spirit? On a regular basis, how can I see that so that I can therefore start to make remedies not to keep on doing that? Well, we want to talk now, family, for the remainder of our time. I want to give you four insights here, four helpful insights that can help us expose the ways in which we are continually quenching the Spirit so that when we see these areas, we can start to address them. And by God's help and the Spirit's help, to bring about further growth and change. So let's look at these four insights together. I hope you'll fill in some blanks there that I've given you in your notes. So how do you and I quench the Spirit? How do we quench the Spirit so often where we need to recognize it and, and go about changing it with God's help? Here's the first one. We quench the Spirit when we ignore the clear teachings and the general principles of Scripture. Number one, we quench the Spirit when we ignore the clear teachings, and the general principles of Scripture. Friends, as we think about this issue of the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives, it's so fascinating, family. Think through this with me for just a moment. Think through this dynamic. We have this Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is permanently with us, and yet is that same Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures. The scriptures that have been given to guide us, instruct us, and help us. Remember those two famous texts that talk about where scripture comes from? Where does scripture come from? Well, it comes from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 is in your notes. All scriptures breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. All scripture comes by God. It's breathed out by God. 2 Peter 1, 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's this fascinating dynamic. I have this Holy Spirit who's indwelling me permanently. And the same Holy Spirit that's inside of me is the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures. And we've got this amazing dynamic. The same Spirit who is in me to help me and encourage me and lead me is the same Spirit who gave the Word of God. And so His job is to illuminate and teach and spur me to obey the things that are in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. Family, here's the point I'm making. Believers like us, we quench the Spirit so often because we do not react properly to the Scriptures. We quench the Spirit by refusing to read the, read the Bible. That's one of the ways we quench the Spirit, is we refuse to read the Scriptures. But then secondly, even if we do read the Scriptures, we talked about this a little bit this morning in our Sunday School Hour, the Spirit helps us as we read the Scripture. We, we get illumination in our brains to understand what we've read, but then we often quench the Spirit because we don't obey what we've read. So we've read it, and we've understood it, but then we don't obey it. Once again, there's another example of some quenching. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says that believers are to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. Family, if you and I are eager to know how it happens that the Holy Spirit gets quenched in our lives, well, this is one of the ways it happens so often. It's by our refusal to let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. We're not studying. We're not reading. We're not obeying. We're not being doers of the Word with, with obedience and humility like we should. Family, that means there's a challenge here for us. Here's the application for us. We need to make sure that we are interacting regularly with the Word of God in order that the same Spirit who inspired the Word of God, that same Spirit who now indwells me permanently, that Spirit is going to help me to learn and desire me to obey the Scriptures so that I can burn bright for Jesus. And that's the way that the Spirit will then have that great influence in my daily life. Let me show you a second way that you and I often fall short in this quenching idea. Number two, we quench the Spirit when we reject the Spirit's direction and guiding influence. We quench the Spirit when we reject the Spirit's direction and guiding influence. Now, Christian friends, as we think about the stuff that happens in our lives, we think about issues and we think about events and we think about circumstances that that, that make up our Christian experience, you know, there are, you know, there are many things in your Christian life, things that you're going to face in your life, for which the Bible does not give a specific or explicit instruction. For instance, buying a house. Show me the chapter and verse on the command about house buying, about how to do that. Show me the chapter and verse on it. How about choosing a job, selecting a career, 
or how to know whether or not to choose this action or to choose this action or to move to this state or to stay put in this state. There isn't always a specific chapter or verse of God's revelation that we can go to and get the explicit answer to give us a direct uh, line of choice. Well, in those moments, even though we may not have a, an explicit verse to turn to, we certainly still can come to God's Word to see if there is a principle. Is there a general principle? Are there any scriptures that speak about this or near this, this issue that can guide me? But family, in addition to coming to God's Word and looking for some, some big principles to guide us, we can also be thankful that God has also given us His Spirit. His own, Holy, His own Holy Spirit to help guide us in those times when we're facing a difficult decision. Romans 8.14 says that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to those who are the children of God. Scripture says there, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So family, in those instances where you do not have a specific chapter or verse to give you an explicit instruction, you can still be thankful that you've got the Word of God to give you some general principles and guidance, but you also have His own Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and to give you help and to lead you into His will. Psalm 143, verse 10, says that the Spirit helps believers with guidance. Scripture says in Psalm 143, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So friends, in other words, one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit continues to make His presence known in our lives is by the direction that He gives us, the helps that He gives us to make wise decisions and choices that will lead us in God's will. You might remember this example from the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul had this super strong desire to take the gospel into the region of Asia and Bithynia. But the Bible says in Acts 16, 17, 16 verse 7 that the Holy Spirit did not allow him. And it was that night that the Holy Spirit directed Paul in a dream to go to Macedonia instead and so Paul obeyed. Paul obeyed the Spirit's leading. He went to Macedonia. A woman was there. She was a Gentile. Her name was Lydia. Lydia was converted. She was the first convert of Europe. And eventually a church was started there, the church at Philippi. So by obeying the Spirit in that direction, Paul was staying in the center of God's will for his life. What was so interesting in Acts 19... Verse 10, eventually, the Holy Spirit did direct Paul to go into that region of Asia where earlier the Spirit had said no. And so Paul did go there taking the gospel much later in Acts 19. And the gospel multiplied and there were many believers made. Now family, you can imagine how things might have turned out differently if Paul had been stubborn. If Paul had been set in his ways and said, well, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And so he decided, I'm going to push forward with my own ideas. Well, what might have happened? Well, of course, God could have accomplished his purposes in many different ways through even some other means outside of Paul, if necessary. But certainly if Paul had been stubborn, if Paul had been a bullhead, 
Paul would have missed out on the blessings that God had for him. So friends, the lesson here for you and I is that you and I need to be careful not to quench the Spirit's leading in our lives, especially when it concerns things that are not specifically revealed in Scripture. In those instances, we can look at the Bible and try to discern some principles to guide us, but then we also need to trust the Spirit's leading and to see how He would direct us to go. And if we will be open to that, if we will be obedient, if we'll be patient and we'll trust God's leading by the Spirit, then we can trust that God will lead us in the direction that He wants us to go. But if we let our pride get in there, pride and stubbornness on our own agendas, and our own selfish will, what happens? We start to quench the Spirit's guidance. And that's when we can potentially miss out on what God has for us. Now let's talk number three here, how we quench the Spirit. Thirdly, we quench the Spirit when we refuse to accept God's will as revealed through His providence. This is a third way in which you and I often quench the Spirit. We quench the Spirit when we refuse to accept God's will as revealed through His providence. Now family, this third point we're going to make here is closely related to the second one. But the difference is this. While the second one we just considered a moment ago talks about waiting and seeking and waiting for God's will to be revealed, this third point we're talking about now has to deal with something that God has already allowed to take place. This isn't something that you're pray, praying for, waiting on, and seeking guidance toward. This third point we're going to talk about now is something that God has allowed to happen. This is something that really did happen. It did take place in your life. It, 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 it happened. It, God brought it about. God permitted it to take place. You know, how often does it happen in our Christian lives, friends, that God allows something, God permits something to come into our lives that, quite frankly, we are not happy about. In fact, we might even be a little ticked off that God allowed this thing to come into our lives. Maybe it happens with the loss of a job. Maybe your hours get cut. Maybe it's a sudden health crisis that comes sweeping down on you. Maybe it's even the passing of a beloved family member. Maybe it was a godly grandmother who loved Jesus. Maybe she died young. Maybe she was only in her early 50s, and now she's gone. Sometimes when that happens, believers will often, many believers, will get angry. They get angry, they get bitter, and they respond out of their flesh, and they look at that event that, that has taken, taken place, and they consider it to be something evil. They see it as something wrong. They can't believe that this happened, and they're mad about it, and they take a response of anger instead of taking a humble response, seeing that this is something that God sovereignly allowed, that this is something that God permitted by His good and wise providence. You know, family, over the years, I have done a lot of counseling with different kinds of Christians, Christians who have faced all kinds of different hardships, adversities, difficult things that has co have come into their lives. And more than once, I have counseled with a Christian who is angry and bitter about something 
that came into their lives, and they want to hold on to it. And they want to hold on to this anger, this anger with God, this displeasure with God. They are so angry and upset that this event has happened. And even though it may be a very difficult situation, I've tried to help those believers understand that God is still sovereign. God is in control. God does all things according to the pleasure of His will. And if God has permitted that thing to happen, the response of the Christian ought to be a humble acceptance of such a thing. A humble acceptance, a sweet spirit of submission. That, okay, God, you're in charge, and I'm not. And so often that doesn't happen with so many Christians. When that Christian stays angry and they stay bitter and they want to carry a grudge and they're mad at God for this bad thing that, that God permitted or God allowed, they want to shake their fist in God's direction. In that moment, that Christian is quenching the Spirit 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we get this amazing example of the Apostle Paul who was grieved. Paul was hurting, dealing with this severe thorn in the flesh. Now what was it? We're not sure. We really don't know for sure what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Was it an eye disorder? Perhaps. Was it malaria? Maybe. Was it a demonically influenced false teacher reaching, wreaking havoc in the church? Perhaps. We don't know for sure what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but whatever it was, it was a burden to Paul. It was crushing Paul. It was killing him to deal with this thing. So much personal anguish that Scripture says, Paul says he prayed three times. He's pleading with God, God, would you take this away? But it's so, it's so encouraging, Christian friends. Even in that pain, Paul did not quench the spirit. Paul responded properly when he was reminded that God's in control. God's in control of all of the providence of circumstances that came into Paul's life. Remember 1 Corinthians 12? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul makes his conclusion, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Family, the bottom line is if we want to avoid quenching the Spirit, we need to see every aspect of our lives as under the authority of God. Everything that comes into our lives is ultimately directed by God's good and wise hand. We call that His providence. Yes, even the painful things. Oh, when the good stuff comes, oh, thank you, Lord, you're so good, you brought this good thing. But what about when the bad thing comes? God's in charge of that too. God permits that too. God often sends that our way as well. So as we let the Spirit guide us thinking through various situations, we need to remember, even with the difficult things, to be humbly submitted 
to God's rule over our lives. When we have that sweet submission, when we have that humble spirit, when we understand and submit that God is in charge, when we do that, that is when we are no longer quenching the spirit regarding our circumstances. Now here's the last one, friends. Number four, we quench the spirit when we act with overconfidence and we deny our need for the spirit's help. We quench the spirit when we act with overconfidence and we deny our need for the spirit's help. Family, let's say we went on a search. Let's search the scriptures for someone who was continually filled with the Holy Spirit and and never did anything to squelch the Spirit's power. There's only one person we can find. It's the Lord Jesus. You got it. Jesus is our supreme illustration. He's the supreme example of what it means to be led and influenced by the Holy Spirit. And yet to always be humble. To always be submissive to the plan of God. Philippians chapter 2 is that famous passage where we read how Jesus was so submitted to His Father Even though he was in the form of God, Philippians 2.6, Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men and found in human form. He humbled himself. He became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Think about that for a minute. Jesus never quenched the Spirit. Never. Never. Jesus never quenched the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus never acted independently of himself. Jesus was always seeking to be submitted to his heavenly Father's will. Even the night before the cross. Even when Jesus is sweating great drops of blood and he's praying, maybe this could pass from me. Jesus has this redemptive event on his mind but yet he still submits to his Father's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Family, the truth is this. So often when you and I are quenching the Holy Spirit, it happens because you and I are acting with sinful self-assurance. We're going about life based on our pride. We're going about doing our agendas and what we want to do. And we often outright deny the fact that the Spirit wants to have an impact in our direction. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says we have the mind of Christ. But sadly, so many of us want to act on our own mind. We want our own self-will to lead the way. We want to be our own compass instead of letting the Spirit have an impact upon us. So believers, if we want to avoid quenching the Spirit, we need to take the mind of Christ, which the Bible says we have, the mind of Christ, and we need to be humble enough to say, okay, Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you to guide me. I need your Spirit's empowerment. I need the Spirit's direction. I need the Spirit's help in this situation. Just like Jesus' disciples were taught there in John chapter 15, It'd be good for you and I to acknowledge, too, that very important truth. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. That's a very important truth that you and I need to wrestle with more in our daily lives. Without Christ, in our lives, by His Spirit, without Christ, we, of ourselves, can do nothing. Family, as we draw to a close, I hope this message has giving you a boost today in your spiritual understanding of this concept of the quenching of the Holy Spirit. 
I certainly hope that your soul today has been stirred up. Christian friend, I want you to be stirred up today to protect that inner fire that's inside of you. To protect this inner flame that's in you, the Holy Spirit's presence. Christian, my prayer is that when it comes to your spiritual life, that your inner person will not be like our gas furnace was a few years ago. Don't have a Christian life that was like our gas furnace, which was tottering on the dangerous coldness that was about to plunge this whole building into coldness. Christian, as you go to a brand new week, help, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to embrace and practice those things which would fan the flames of the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. Things like prayer and worship and Bible study, Christian friendships, and scripture memory, being a doer of the word, heeding the Spirit's guidance, and accepting the providences that God brings our way. Friends, these are just a few of the things that you can do to keep the Spirit's flame burning bright in your heart. And then consequently, give you a Christian life that puts off heat and light for the glory of Jesus Christ. So friends, as you go to a brand new week, do not continue to keep on quenching the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit, and be led by the Spirit in your daily walk. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.